0: Welcome to Let Us Reason, a Christian Muslim dialogue with host Al Fadi. Let Us Reason is a unique show utilizing theology, apologetics, and evangelism to reach Muslims for Christ by comparing and contrasting Christian and Muslim doctrines. And now, your host, Al Fadi. Welcome. I hope
1: you're having a fabulous Saturday. If you are joining us, uh, this is Let Us Reason, and I'm your host, Al-Fadi, and thank you so much, by the way, for keeping us on the air. It is by the grace of God and by your faithful prayers that we continue uh, to serve the Lord through this uh, podcast, and I appreciate all of your comments and participation and interactions. Now, one of the things that uh, uh, we have started it maybe about a week or two ago uh, has to do with a new series that I'm doing with Dr. J. Smith. And the series really uh, basically go hand in hand with uh, a video series that I did also with Dr. J. Smith. And uh, the topics that I covered with him uh, in a video series has to do first with the critical analysis of the history of Islam, or uh, we called it the unknown history of Islam. In other words, we are exposing... Uh, Uh, facts and archaeological discoveries and dates and other things that challenge the traditional dates about when Islam started it and when the Prophet lived and which town uh, was the holy town for Muslims and is it truly Mecca that Muslims used to face at the beginning for the first 14 years before it was changed Uh, I should say, um, uh, was it Mecca that uh, they began to face after 14 years? And prior to that, they used to face Jerusalem and so on and so forth. And now I'm doing this um, using the radio or the podcast as a companion for that. So if some of you um, uh, would be at least uh, able to watch the videos and then listen to these uh, podcast. The podcasts are going to give you more in-depth analyses of what we covered in these videos. Obviously, the videos won't allow us to go in a lot of depth sometimes, given the time restraint that we have. Uh, the other thing also that I started talking about in the last couple of episodes has to do with, uh, for instance, the um, original direction of Qibla. And Qibla in uh, Islam or in Arabic means a direction of prayer. And the Quran actually in chapter 2 verses 138 to 150, that's the context, supposedly required Muslims at the year 624 AD to change the direction uh, from whatever they used to face uh, to a new direction. Now, you do not know really from the Quran what used to be that direction initially and what is the new direction, but the traditions of Islam say they used to face Jerusalem and now they're facing Mecca. However, uh, when we look at many of the early mosques, at least the mosques that were built in the first hundred years of Islam, you discover quickly that really, if you do a good mathematical studies and GPS, if you wish, studies using, of course, sophisticated equipment, not just your typical GPS, you begin to notice a theme and the theme is that the directions are actually not facing jerusalem or mecca they're facing a whole different city and later we identified this city to be petra which is found at the southern part of the uh, jordan modern day jordan and uh, from there uh, we are going to now explore <laughs> why petra uh, excuse me why petra is going to be uh, this highly uh, plausible city that Muslims possibly used to face, not only that, but possibly even Islam altogether started it or originated there, or maybe even at least some of the Arabic of the Quran and some of the stories found in the Quran concerning the people of the book also originated from that region. So all of these modern day discoveries, and when I say modern day discovery, it would have been in the last 30 to 40 years, at least now we're having more and more, uh, 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 evidence uh, to add to those um, information that were shared initially by some of the early scholars in the 20th century and now in the 21st century. This is significant because it really uh, changes the whole game uh, in terms of where Islam started it and when did it start and how did it start. So, Continuing on with this theme, and obviously you need to go back to the last at least couple of episodes to track with me where we are today, we have discovered basically that most kablas, uh, or directions of prayers, face towards Petra for the first century of Islam between 624 A.D. until 772 A.D. That's uh, the uh, point number two, um, is that Uh, We have another uh, type of qiblas that were in between Jerusalem and in between Petra, uh, and uh, 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 I should say in between Petra and Mecca, and those are found between 706 AD until 772 AD. It's almost an indication of either some confusion or maybe possibly disagreement or where to face or being uncertain as to where exactly the settled direction for Qibla. Then we have a third type, and that's facing Mecca, and that starts usually in the second hundred years after the rise of Islam, almost between 727 until 876 uh, AD. Uh, Those mosques that were built in that time, Uh, began to fix their directions towards Mecca almost 100 years too late in terms of when the Qibla supposedly was changed. Now, as we mentioned, those are really significant. We find also another type of Qibla, which is kind of strange. It's the Qiblas that are primarily found in um, uh, Spain and also in North Africa. Uh, They face a direction that is parallel to both Petra and Mecca. It's almost like a neutral direction. They don't want to side by Petra or they don't want to side by Mecca. And uh, uh, you know, seven mosques, uh, basically seventeen mosques, faced Petra. Eight mosques say uh, face in between. Ten mosques faced Mecca, and six mosques were parallel. The ones that faced Petra the average accuracy degree is 2.9 degrees, uh, and it could be 1.9 if we take out the two worst mosques out of the 17. Uh, out of the uh, the uh, eight who face in between Petra and Mecca, the accuracy degree is 0.98 degrees, and the ones that are facing Mecca, the average is 4.78 degrees, and the ones who are pal- parallel are 3.5 degrees. Degrees of accuracy. Conclusion then that the earlier Qibla's were more accurate when it comes to facing either Petra or in between versus when they start to face towards Mecca. What is the significance now of Petra? It is really the center for trade. You know, remember, Muslims will tell you that Mecca was the center for trade. However, Early uh, maps did not, or trade maps, didn't have Mecca on them until uh, almost uh, 741 AD when we begin to see Mecca. And the earliest trade map is dated around the 900 AD that has Mecca listed in there. It was, Petra, was also the sanctuary for the Nabataeans. That's the group that lived there which uh, occupied that region between the 2nd century B.C. until 713 A.D., almost nine centuries, for 900 years, technically speaking. And then the Umayyads, between 661 until 749, uh, Petra was also a very important trade center for them. That was the first uh, caliphate outside of the Arabian Peninsula, that had basically their headquarters in Damascus or their capital city versus uh, choosing Mecca, for instance, or Medina, which is kind of odd and strange. Why would you, if you are a caliphate for the Islamic State or the newly formed Islamic State that started in Mecca and then moved to Medina, why would you have your capital city actually in Damascus way north compared to having it in the Arabian Peninsula? That's also another significant thing that we have to uh, wrestle with. Uh, Nabataeans also uh, are uh, important because uh, it appears that the Arabic language it, it basically um, uh, evolved out of Napataean characters and uh, alphabets. So we have another reason to believe that the Napataeans' culture contributed tremendously to uh, not only Islam, but also to the Arabic language and even to the Quran itself. Other things about Petra, it is known as a city of tomes and temples, temples, I should say. It has a lot of tomes and it has a lot of temples and it is uh, surrounded by many of the familiar geographies that the Quran talks about, which we will cover shortly. Also, another thing about the geography of Petra and its vegetation, its unique in terms of its resemblance to the description of Mecca that is found in the Quran. The Quran says that Mecca is in a valley and it has another parallel valley, but Mecca doesn't have anything close to this, yet Petra is in a valley, and there is another parallel valley to that valley as well. Ibn Ishaq, for instance, Al-Bukhari in uh, Volume uh, 2, Hadith 645 talks about this, Hadith uh, 685 talks about this. Volume 3, Hadith 891 talks about this. Uh, Volume 2, Hadith 815 talks about this. And uh, also, we found uh, that, um, uh, you know, the description of Mecca in the Quran says that it is a city with stream or a town with stream or stream of water, basically. Uh, That isn't the case, actually, when you look at Mecca, but it is the case when you study the geography of Petra and its vegetation. Uh, Al-Bukhari mentioned that uh, concerning Mecca in Volume 2, Hadith 685. Uh, The Quran says that Mecca had outside, uh, basically uh, is um, outside, and uh, it has, um, there is ruins, I should say, surrounding it, and it has a pillar of salt. You find this, for instance, in Chapter 37 of the Quran, Verses 133 until 138. And Al-Bukhari, Hadith, uh, Volume 9, Hadith 337, uh, 337, uh, again, Volume 9, Hadith 337, says that Mecca has fields, mean vegetation fields, farms. That's not the case with Mecca, but it's the case with Petra. Uh, the place of the prophet, um, basically, and it has trees, You find this in uh, Hadith, for instance, Al-Tirmidhi. It has grass. Al-Bukhari mentioned that. Uh, It produces fruit. Al-Bukhari mentioned that. It has also clay and loom. Al-Tabari in his history, volume uh, basically four, um, in page number six, does mention that. All of these things... Do not match Mecca, but they match basically the vegetation and the geography of Petra. It says also that in the Quran that it has olive trees. Uh, Chapter 6, verse 141 said that, Chapter 16, and also Chapter 80. All of them mentioned that uh, Mecca has olive trees, but oddly enough that Mecca doesn't have olive trees, nor that there are any evidence that Mecca ever had olive trees, nor that the geography and the conditions over there would allow for that. However, Petra does have that. And it says also that the Kaaba, the shrine that Muslims face daily for prayer is in that valley surrounded by mountains overlooking it. But you look at the, uh, you know, you can use these days, by the way, Google Maps if you want, and satellite images, and you'll see that there isn't anything near this. Uh, Ibn Ishaq mentioned this in his biography of the Prophet. Al-Bukhari in his hadith mentioned this. But Petra actually fits this description perfectly. Petra has all of these items listed above, basically, that I just mentioned to you. Thus... Is it possible that Petra is the place that Mecca, that the Quran, I should say, is referring to? Here's another peculiar thing. The Quran really invested a lot of time in talking about cities and towns that are far north, way north from Mecca. Almost 600 miles north of Mecca. Such as, for instance, uh, the biblical town of Uz, uh, called Ad in the Quran, mentioned 23 times. The mood where it's part of the Nabataeans, basically, dynasty. And Midian uh, is mentioned seven times, uh, where the Midianites lived. The Nabataeans, you know, Thamud was mentioned 24 times. All of these towns must have been very important, yet all of these civilizations that the Quran is talking about, the civilization of Ad or Thamud or the Midianites, all of them are north of Arabia, 600 miles north of Mecca, and yet they all surround Petra. It makes sense then. Why would you focus on something that is far north and versus focusing on things that are around you? Because you are more familiar with the towns and the geography and the topography and also the um, dynasties and the civilizations that occupied areas around you versus those that are far north from where you were born and raised, for instance. So these are the evidence that scholars are coming across and it's becoming more and more problematic for the traditional datings and the traditional also history of Islam. So why is this significant? Uh, Let's take a quick look once again as a review. Nothing basically is known about Muhammad, technically speaking, from an archaeological or historical standpoint until the late 7th century. But supposedly Muhammad was born in 570 AD, at the end of the 6th century, and he received his prophethood at 610 A.D., in early 7th century, and died in 632 A.D., still the first quarter, or the first third of the 7th century, yet we don't find any reference to him until the late 7th century, almost 60 years after his death. That's strange. His book, the Quran, and its manuscripts do not appear, basically, until late 7th century, early 8th century. We do not, and even the ones that we discovered that are really early, like the Sana manuscript, have so many problems, and they do not match the modern-day Quran. The city that supposedly was his center, which is Mecca, wasn't referenced in any maps until mid-eighth century, when, in fact, he lived there supposedly, as I mentioned, in six and towards the beginning of seventh century, almost 150 to 200 years later. His biography, known as the Sira of The prophet and the sayings, hadith, do not appear actually until almost 180 to 240 years later, early to late 9th century. No eyewitness accounts ever existed to verify uh, anything about Muhammad. So everything now is questionable based on what these accounts were written. Thus, much of what we know about Muhammad is written down a couple of hundred years later. And it looks like, basically, uh, he is nothing more than a later redaction, possibly a legend, or possibly somebody that was, uh, later in later times, uh, was made to be an important figure. Now, all of these dates that I just mentioned to you, the late dates, also point out to a specific caliph known by Abdul Malik ibn Marwan. Abdul malik ibn Marwan is the one that it appears that he was behind the movement of launching a campaign to write the biography of a prophet, to build also the Dome of the Rock that made reference to Muslims and Muhammad and Islam, Uh, and at his time he began to incorporate the Shahada, the Creed, and many other things that are being discovered. So all of this could possibly lead to this possible theory or hypothesis. Is it possible that Abdul Malik is the one who invented this character, Muhammad, or at least made this person, Muhammad, to become more prominent and kind of like put the final touch-ups on what we know today as the Quran and Islam as we know it? I mean, these are the questions that we ought to ask because they are extremely important questions and questions that deal with the heart of the matter, and that's, A group of 1.6 billion Muslims today follow these traditions blindly, without questioning them, without asking any questions, without even examining them, without critically trying to research and logically uh, ask uh, some significant, basically, questions for evidence to support any of the historical dates that are given to them, as opposed to the newly discovered dates and documentation. Notice All of the dating that I mentioned right now, the later datings, we have evidence to support him. But all of the traditional Islamic datings that are earlier than that, we do not have any evidence to support him. That's a problem. And we have to really wrestle with this. So um, that leads us basically to the historian's conclusions. Uh, You have someone like uh, Stephen Hemphries uh, who wrote Islamic history, a framework for uh, inquiry. This is what he says. Islam and the Prophet's life as we know it wasn't derived from the 7th century, but evolved over a period of 200 to 300 years and then redacted back on to the Prophet's life and compiled in the 9th century. That was the book that he wrote in 1991 You can check this quotation and this reference basically in pages 71 and also in pages 83 to 89. So as you can see, we have a huge, huge historical problem here that Muslims need to really take very seriously because now it is affecting everything we know about Islam, its book, and its man. And that is extremely significant. And I hope that my Muslim friends, if they are listening to this, They would also go and watch the videos as we've been releasing them, by the way, one by one on a weekly basis. And I like to basically stop here and pick it up uh, in the next episode. But uh, with that says, I want to remind all of you that you can go and watch these videos that I'm referring to on our YouTube channel, which is CIRA International. That's C as in Charlie, C-I-R-A International. That's in YouTube. And we have also launched an Arabic one. If you have Muslim friends who speak Arabic, by the way, it's called Al-Sira. And uh, you can always access those from uh, my website, which is SiraInternational.com. Again, Sira with a C as in Charlie, C-I-R-A International.com. You can always contact me directly uh, uh, from the website. Many people do that. You can go also and... um, follow some of the posts that I uh, have on my Facebook page. First, I have my personal page, which is alfadi.sira. Alfadi, A-L, F as in Frank, A-D-I, D D as in David, alfadi.sira, C as in Charlie. So it's alfadi.sira. That's my personal page. I have a lot of provocative posts sometimes to ask questions like this. You can engage and interact. Uh, uh, sadly, I have 5,000 friends, so you can send me a friend request, but you're going to have to wait until someone drops out or we block someone for harassment and things like that. But uh, the good news is I have another ministry page now uh, called Al, uh, The Al-Fadi, The Al-Fadi, uh, T-H-E, uh, the definite article, The, V Al-Fadi. In there, uh, we are allowed, of course, by Facebook to have uh, millions of followers. So please join us there, like us there, and follow also some of the posts and videos that we will be releasing through that. And we've already had the ministry page for the ministry itself, known as SIRA International, also on Facebook. So these are the variety of things that you can now track us uh, with, and uh, we also are uh, going to launch... Uh, Instagram account for the ministry as well. And one last thing I want to just uh, mention to you that we are in a process to set up to where we can start doing Facebook Live. First, I'm going to start it by doing it once a month, but hopefully we will evolve into doing it on a weekly basis at least once a week. So that's another mean and a way for you to begin to uh, interact with me directly and send us some comments. I want to thank you again. Uh, for your faithfulness and for your prayers. It is by the grace of God that we remain on the air, and it is because of your faithful prayers and support we are uh, going strong. Uh, finally, I recommend that uh, you can, if you like, subscribe to our YouTube channel, which is sira International, and become a Patreon patron. And in doing so... Uh, You could even uh, donate towards making these videos and paying for the airtime as little as $1, by the way, and as much as the Lord puts in your heart. But the idea is when you subscribe, you begin to receive a lot of notifications whenever we release something new. Until we meet again next week, have a blessed day.